continuing our study in the book of Matthew. Uh, this title is Follow the Mistake, the Unmistaken Jesus. Now, when I say unmistaken, I want you to think the real and the true. I'm going to be using this term over and over and over in the talk. Mistaken and unmistaken. The unmistaken Jesus is the real Jesus, the true Jesus. And there is a mistaken Jesus that most of the world actually acknowledges. So you are following the unmistaken Jesus. And we're going to also talk about four parables today, the hidden treasure, pearl of great price, the dragnet and the householder. And then Jesus is going to do something heroic. He's going to go back to his hometown. He'll teach in the synagogue. He'll be rejected there again. But this is a second time that he's going back there. The first time he had a bad experience. And we'll talk about that more in just a moment. So if you would stand for reading of the word of God, we honor God by standing when we read his word. Matthew 13, 44 through 58. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for joy over it goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind which when it was full, they drew to the shore, and they sat down and gathered the good into the vessels, but threw the bad away. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth, separate the wicked from among the just, and cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Jesus said to them, Have you understood all these things? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he said to them, Therefore every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of, the out of his treasure things new and old. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these parables that he departed from there. And when he had come to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get his wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? So they were offended at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. Now he did not do mighty works there because of their unbelief. This is the word of God. God. Our Father, we thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, as we've already asked, please speak to each one of our hearts today, things that you want us to know from this teaching. Open our minds. Help us to cast the world aside for just a moment and hear you loud and clear inside our beings. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. As you know, the theme of Matthew is Jesus is the promised king. And we say this every week, and I want to emphasize that the king is coming. The king is coming. This is an exciting time. The Feast of Trumpets is a two-day feast. That's why no man knows the time or the hour. And thank you, Roy, for reminding us of all that. And uh, the, one of these days, Jesus will come. Jesus will come and establish his kingdom on the earth. Now, where we have been, Jesus has been teaching about the soils. And he's been teaching about the mustard seed. And he's been teaching about the leaven. And he's been teaching us parables. And he went to teaching parables because of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, the final rejection of the nation of Israel to Jesus. They didn't want Jesus. They didn't want the Jesus that was being presented to them. Even though Jesus did all the stuff that, that declared that he was the Messiah, 
He was the real deal. And yet they rejected and rejected and rejected. They wanted the conquering king. They didn't want a savior that would die for them. Now, this week we're going to be talking about the unmistaken Jesus. And I want to say this one more time. When I say unmistaken, you think the right Jesus, the correct Jesus, the Jesus of the word, not the mistaken Jesus that people make up in their minds. You know, the all world religions have a view of Jesus, but it's a mistaken view of Jesus, more on that in just a few minutes. Now, the parables start with, in verse 44, with the hidden treasure. Now, again, there's multiple ways that people look at this, multiple ways. And I'm doing the best I can to try to present how I understand this. But there are many commentators that look at this different, that are wonderful Bible teachers. So I'm giving you my version of this the best I can. So again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure. So you know that it's very valuable, the kingdom of heaven. Hidden in a field which a man found and hid, and for joy over it goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Now, I want you to ask yourself this question. What did you do to buy the kingdom of heaven? Nothing. Good. Good Bible students. That's right. So this can't, this, this, it has to be referring to somebody other than me buying my way into the kingdom of heaven. Remember, all world religions are buying or trying to buy their way into the kingdom of heaven. Christianity is the only world religion where the price was paid by Jesus Christ himself. We did nothing. He did everything. All we had to do was receive the gift, believe and receive the gift. So with that preface, think about this. Nothing is more valuable than the kingdom and being part of that kingdom. And I say nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing is more important than that. Now, I want you to think about this. I believe that, again, you didn't buy your way into this kingdom, so it has to be something else. I think the treasure is the kingdom which the saved will inhabit. I think we can agree on that. The treasure, I believe, is salvation because that's what's required to get into the kingdom, and that's worth everything. When a person realizes the value of the treasure, I believe they would be willing to pay any price, but they could not pay the price. Because any price that you paid would be inadequate. It had to be paid by somebody else. So I think you know where I'm going with this. The kingdom was purchased for you by Christ. That's how who purchased it. He paid the price. and it, 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 He is of greatest value. The treasure is salvation. The greatest value is Jesus. The unmistaken Jesus. Remember, he invaded your life. You weren't looking for Jesus. He was looking for you. No man can come to me unless the Father draws him. Remember, the Spirit convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Jesus said, if I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. The whole Godhead was involved in your salvation. You were not looking for the treasure. You were not looking for anything. God was looking for you. Now, the Pearl of Great Price. Now, the Pearl of Great Price is not the Mormon book. The Pearl of Great Price. Okay, it's verse 45 and 46. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had. And again, the imagery here is bought it, bought it, bought the pearl of great price. Again, we can't buy anything. 
anything to get into the kingdom. That, so that's the mindset. So I believe the pearl is you. Some people believe the, excuse me, the, some people believe the pearl is you, and some people believe the pearl is Jesus. Now think about a pearl. What has to happen for a pearl to develop in an oyster? Listen to what this guy says. The, the pearl is born out of suffering. A speck of sand makes its way into the oyster and hurts the oyster. To protect itself, the oyster secretes a substance called mother of pearl. To surround the intruder, it is this secretion that gradually forms the pearl. The pearl is born out of much torment and pain. Now, listen, I believe the pearl is the believer. Why do I believe that? The believer is born out of much torment and pain. What is the pain? That is the question. And I believe the pain was suffered by Jesus himself for us. The death of the Lord Jesus, our Savior, our Redeemer, our Waymaker, our Master, our Ruler, our Owner. Salvation is free to us, but it was not to God. Jesus paid the price for the pearl of great price. That was us. Jesus bought us. Jesus left heaven to purchase redemption, our lives, out of the kingdom of darkness. Remember how it happened? The instant, the second that you believed, you were extracted from the kingdom of darkness, placed in the kingdom of the Son of His love, the kingdom of light, whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. That happened in an instant. And then for the rest of your life, you're in a process of being conformed to the likeness of Christ, becoming more and more like Jesus and less and less like you. And that's sanctification, the second phase of salvation. So Jesus paid the price. He, paid, he laid it all. He laid it all. He put everything on the line. Think about Jesus being God, leaving heaven to come here and be one of us to suffer the humiliation of being a human, but not just the humiliation of being a human. He was then disparaged. He was criticized. He was rejected. He was humiliated. He was spat upon. God of heaven did this for us. So Jesus paid the price. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, gives us a little picture of this. It goes... Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not, did not desire equality with God, but made himself nothing, coming in the very form of a servant. Verse 7, made himself nothing, made himself of no reputation is our focus. Taking on the form of a bond servant, coming in the likeness of men. Now I want you to stop right where you are and think about this. When Jesus made himself of no reputation, made himself nothing, you know what that word is? That has a theological word. It is called the kenosis, the kenosis. Now, this doesn't, it might not mean anything to you, but the event is significant. It means self-emptying. Jesus emptied himself. Jesus voluntarily set aside, emptied himself of his heavenly privileges to become one of us. He did never, he never set aside his divinity. He was always, always the God-man. The God-man. He took on another nature. 
He's 100% God, 100% man. We must understand that. The other thing that you want to understand is this. God became a man, and that is another word for this that you might not ever remember, but it's called the hypostatic union. Now, that's a significant thing. Jesus takes on human nature and remains God. Now, I have a little slide here for you. He has a divine nature. He has a human nature in one person. Jesus is the God-man. He's not half God and half man. He is 100% God, 100% man. I don't know how that works, but that's what it is. He is the God-man. That is an important thing to remember. So, forever, forever and ever and ever. This is a permanent condition for Jesus. He is the God-man. This sacrifice he did for his bride, you. You. He took on humanity for you. The perfect Jesus died on the cross for you. No other person could do it. No angel could do it. No human could do it. It was only someone that was perfect. No human is perfect. Only Jesus could do that. The pearl of great price, folks, is you. It costs God dearly a great price. Jesus died so the pearl of great price could live, could live forever with him. Remember this. We said this last time. Love is a verb. It is an action. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrated his own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Demonstrated. There's an action there. An action. Now, there's a song that we used to sing when you used to sing out of hymnals. And it was, oh, how he loves you and me. Oh, how he loves you and me. He gave his life. What more could he give? Remember, it's, oh, how he loves you. Oh, how, I wasn't going to do this. Oh, how he loves me. Oh, how he loves you and me. I mean, that's our Jesus. That's right. He loves us. When we are, in the, we are in the kingdom for one reason, we have followed the unmistaken true Jesus. We believe he died for us, he paid the price for us, and we were saved, born again of the Spirit, the moment we believed and received the gift of salvation. Jesus saved you, the pearl of great price. You are highly, highly valued in the eyes of God highly valued. Now, how about the dragnet? 47 through 50. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to shore and they sat down and gathered the good into the vessels, but threw the bad away. So will it be at the end of the age. The angels will come, separate the wicked from among the just, and cast them into the furnace of fire. And watch what happens here. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. That will be the worst of the worst of the worst that you can ever conceive. You can't even conceive of it if you've rejected Jesus. That is your ultimate destiny forever separated from God in the lake of fire, which what traditionally we call hell, but most people view it as hell. But that's the final abode of the lost person, the lake of fire. So, this is analogous to the wheat and the tares. 
the true versus the phony. Remember, there's all kinds of people think they're true, but they're phonies. Jesus warns not everyone who professes Christ really possesses Christ. Now, on the board, you're going to see Matthew 7, 21 through 23. And I want you to follow along with me with this. Matthew 7. Now, the setting here, remember we always, we want to have this in context. Jesus is speaking about the false teachers. Now, false teachers will influence other people to believe just like the false teacher. So these false teachers are going to experience this, and those who follow them will experience this. So he says in, in, in verse 15, he says, Beware of false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing. They look like they are really ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. And then he says these words, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, kurios, kurios, who have the vernacular, have the language, but don't have the heart. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father, what is the Father's will? That everyone would come to know the Son, to have a relationship with the Son, which makes them qualified for heaven. Many shall say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not? Now watch the things that these guys did, the works that they did. Have we not prophesied in your name? cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name, and then I will declare to them, these people who thought they knew Jesus, these people who thought they were in, watch what he says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now look, there's a lot of people that say, I know Jesus. I know Jesus. And people jump up and down, I know Jesus. The question is, According to this verse, does Jesus know you? Are you in his family or are you not? That is the question. Remember, these guys were trying to work their way in. Did you see what we did, Jesus? Hey, we did. We prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We did many wonderful works in your name. Look at us, Jesus. We did all this stuff. And we did it for you, Jesus. Yes, we did it for you. Look at no one gets into the kingdom by their works. Titus 3.5 is very specific. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but by his mercy he has saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, which he has poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ. That is how you get into the kingdom. It's his mercy and you believing and putting your trust in him. So false teachers, hear this, promote a mistaken Jesus, a false Jesus. We must follow the unmistaken, the true Jesus, the real Jesus of the Bible. Again, not the one that we make up in our minds. That's important. Now, what about the parable of the householder? 51 through 53. Jesus said to them, have you understood all these things? Now, you're, you're dealing with these disciples. They're not understanding a whole lot of anything, okay? They're always wondering what's going on. But watch the response. And they said to him, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And I'm thinking, hmm. This, I did one of yours, Jason. Hmm. Maybe go, hmm. Yeah, hmm. <laughs> then he said to them, therefore, every scribe instructed. 
Now remember, a scribe was, they originally were ones that promoted speaking of the word. Then they were responsible for writing the word down. Ezra was a scribe. He spoke the word. So if you came on Tuesday night, you would know all about Ezra and Nehemiah and that whole thing of scribes and speaking the word and that sort of thing. They later wrote it down. And I think these disciples, he's looking at them as scribes that have heard something and they must speak what they've heard. Concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder. Who, who brings out of his treasure things new and things old. The truth, I believe this is what he's talking about, the truth of the kingdom must be shared with others, some new and some old. We share it with others. Jesus said, since you understand, you are like the scribe, the householder. Folks, we have a truth crisis in America. The scribes were responsible for speaking the truth, writing down the truth. Now, if you've checked out for a second, check back in, because this is going to be applicable to you today, okay? I want you to think about truth. They spoke the truth. We must speak the truth. The same is true for us. Speak the truth. And I've shared this guy with you before. His name is Oz Guinness. He is a apologist, Christian philosopher. And he says this. He asked the question, what is truth? Now let that resonate with you because we're in a culture that has abandoned the truth and anything is the truth today. Okay? You, you, genders. Boys. The truth is a boy's a boy and a girl's a girl. That's the truth. You can't twist it, you can't flip it, you can't turn it, you can't do anything with that. It is what it is. It is the truth. So with that stated, <laughs> let, me get, let me take a cleansing breath and get on here. <laughs> so what is truth? That which is real, trustworthy, and dependable. Now I've shared this guy with you in the past, Alexander Solzhenitsyn. He had the Nobel Prize and 1970. Alexander Solzhenitsyn was a Russian. He was raised in a Russian family, and he believed in Jesus. He was a believer. As he grew older, he became more and more influenced by Lenin and Marxism. And he abandoned his faith, became an atheist, a rabid atheist. And in World War II, he joined the Russian army. He was a captain in the army. And when he was a captain in the army, he had some things that he thought Stalin was doing wrong. And so he sent Stalin a personal letter. And in that personal letter, he was criticizing some of the tactics that Stalin was using. Stalin then released an organization called Smirsch. That organization was their, their, their homeland security, so to speak, their FBI. And they came and took Stalin and threw him in a gulag where he resided for Excuse me, Solzhenitsyn, thank you. Thank, thank all this section, all you right there, thank you. Through Solzhenitsyn in a, in, a, in a gulag for eight years. Now, that you, would have, that you would have thought that's the worst thing that could possibly happen to Solzhenitsyn. God is always at work. He's always working good out of evil. Solzhenitsyn, instead of shaking his fist at God, I hate you, God, who he didn't believe in going in, 
became a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and supported Christianity in Russia until he died. Now, that's his story. He has this to say. One, this is great. One word of truth will outweigh a whole world, and might I add, of lies. Outweigh a whole world. Guinness says this, truth is, truth is true even if, hear this, even if nobody believes it, and lies are lies even if everybody believes it. Truth does not, he says this, this is so great, truth does not yield to opinion. Now, what do we have on television today, 24-7? On the view, opinion, opinion, opinion. Does not yield to opinion. Fashion, numbers. Let's take a poll. Let's go, let's take a poll. We'll go in the way the polls. No, it does not yield to numbers, office, or sincerity. Great word. Now, this is what I'm going to add. Being a Christian is being a people of truth, practicing the truth. I don't care what direction the culture is going. We practice the truth. We practice the truth. Speaking the truth dispels the lie. You know that. Don't let someone steal the conversation. Now, you don't have to be mean like I am right now, but you, you just... <laughs> Be nice when you're presenting this. <laughs> Speaking the truth dispels the lie. You put truth into those conversations. Jesus spoke the truth. He is our model. We're modeling Jesus. We're not modeling what's happening in our government. We're not modeling the people that come on the news. We're not modeling any. We model Jesus Christ. That's who we model. His disciples spoke the truth. And folks, we must speak the truth. And what is that truth? It's not my truth. It's God's truth. Everything must be validated by the Word of God. Good. Amen. So, now when Jesus finished, and remember he told them, you're going to give them some of the new and some of the old, some of the New Testament, some of the stuff from the prophets, some of the things, bind them together, tell people about the God of the Bible. Really, that's what that is all about. When Jesus finished his teaching, watch what he did. He departed, and he departed. Remember, everything Jesus did, he was led by the Spirit. He just didn't just pick up his bags and say, oh, I guess I'll go here. No, he was led by the Spirit. His whole life, led by the Spirit, in full submission to his Father, and he goes back to his hometown. Now, you would think by this time, word has gotten out about Jesus. And there would be banners up in his hometown saying, welcome, Jesus. We're so glad you're the Messiah. And oh no, that is not what happens. Verse 54 through 58. When he had come to his own country, his hometown, he goes to the synagogue. That's where Jesus taught. So that they were, now watch the response of the people. And even though they respond this way, they'll reject him. They were astonished and said, where did this man get his wisdom and these mighty works, these miracles. Everybody acknowledged that Jesus did these miracles. But they're, they're blinded. Is this, and then they watch, watch how they transition from being in, in wonder of Jesus to, thank you, skeptical of Jesus. Is this not the carpenter's son? 
Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and his sisters? Are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? So they were offended at him. Scandalon is the word. Remember, it's, it's a throw under the bus. It's a trap. They stuck their head in the trap. They thought Jesus should be dispelled with. But Jesus said to them, straight up, mano a mano, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country and his own house. Let that sink in as you share who Jesus is in your house. And people look at you like, you're crazy. Now he did not do mighty works there, miracles there, because of their unbelief, their unbelief. And again, Jesus goes to his hometown. He goes to the synagogue. He's rejected. And I reminded you at the beginning what happened. Well, the first episode is recorded in Luke 44, verse 28 through 29. Now, the setting is he reads, he goes into the synagogue. He opens the book of Isaiah. He turns to a section that speaks specifically about him about Messiah coming and the things that Messiah would do. And initially, they embrace what he's saying. And then eventually, they become skeptical. <laughs> and they turn on Jesus. And it gets to the point in verse 28, filled with wrath. These ones that were initially embracing Jesus. Now, filled with wrath, thrust him out of the city. That's with force, folks. And then they get to a hillside, and they want to throw him over a cliff and kill him. That is what they're trying to do. Now, Jesus says, enough, enough. You thrusted. I'll let you do that. But no, 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 no throwing over the hillside. So then he just takes authority, and he walks right through them. Why? Because it was not his time. See, Father has determined the time. Not humans. Humans aren't going to determine the time for Jesus. God. God does this. He was rejected. And they asked this question. Where did this man get his wisdom? Where did he get his mighty works? Now, Jesus didn't go to Hebrew University. Jesus wasn't taught by Gamma, Gamma what's the guy's name? Gamalia. Gamal, Gamal something. Gamma globulin. Gamma... <laughs> Gamaliel, Gamaliel, that guy. He wasn't taught like Paul by Gamaliel. He was taught probably by Mary and Joseph. He didn't, he didn't get any, any special education. And they looked at him like he was kind of simple. Have you ever heard the word yokel? You're just a yokel. Amir Sarfanti, when we were on our mission, our, our Israel trip, and I think it was 2001, he was our guide. What was it, hon? 2003, he was our guide. That's when the war broke out there. And so we went and there was, the whole country was empty. And we had a mere, a premier guide. You'd never get him today, okay? And he shared with us about how the people in Jerusalem, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the rabbis and all the uppity uppities looked at Galileans. They looked at him as Galilean hillbillies, yokels, yokels. A yokel is this, a bubba, a country bumpkin, a hayseed, a redneck, a hillbilly, a hick. 
Now, this reeks of something to me. This reeks of prejudice. That's how it reeks up to me. I'm better than you. Pride. Pride just comes pouring out. And how does God feel about, what does he feel about pride? He hates pride. Satan fell because of pride. Adam and Eve were prideful. Adam and Eve were prideful. Look, at all sin is rooted in pride one way or another. His homies didn't like him. He's the carpenter's son. Who is this guy? Who does he think he is? Jesus' response to them is so wonderful. A prophet is not without honor right to their face, except in his own country and in his own house. Jesus has had a lot of experience with his family. In Mark chapter 3, verse 21, his family thought he was crazy. And they wanted to lay hold of him. Stop this Messiah stuff, Jesus. You're embarrassing the family. All this Jesus stuff, you're embarrassing your family. You being a real Jesus, it's an embarrassment to us who are educated and cultured. You're acting like a hick. You're acting like a hillbilly. You're acting like some uneducated person, ignorant. Oh, no, you've been enlightened by the God of heaven. That's what has happened to you. A prophet is not without honor, except in his own country, in his own house. The result of his unbelief, he did not do many mighty miracles there. Folks, remember this. Our job is to believe. God's job is to do the miracle. We believe. Put yourself in miracle country and believe. Their response is just incredible. They think that Jesus is a hick. Jesus is not a hick. Jesus is not like us. Jesus is the Messiah. He is God incarnate. He is King of kings, and he is Lord of lords. And by the way, he is our only hope. That is who Jesus is. Their response reeks of prejudice and pride, discrimination. Prejudice raises its ugly head many ways, many ways. We're used to, we're most familiar with, with ethnic groups, people groups, one against another. I think it's deeper than that. Many either subconsciously or consciously discriminate. What do I mean by that? People discriminate by education. You're not as smart as me. Social status, you don't live in the right neighborhood. Name, name, famous name, your wealth, your fame, your position, your heritage, and the list goes on and on and on with hum humans. Look at the Bible says that God is not a face looker. Now, aren't you glad of that? Look, I was raised in a neighborhood where we were bumpkins. We would be the hillbillies. We would be the uneducated, unwelcomed, those people on Polk Street in Taylor, Michigan. How are they going to ever grow up to be anything? Well, God gets hold of your life, and he can make something of it. Peter learned about this prejudiced stuff in the house of Cornelius. Cornelius was a dreaded Roman centurion in Acts 10.34. And he learned that God does not look at the face. Listen to what he says. Then Peter opened his mouth and said in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. He is not a face looker. He is a heart looker. Remember when Samuel was looking for the next king. And he goes to Jesse's house. And Jesse parades his sons before them. And they get the big 
the, the oldest one, the strongest one, the tallest one, the one most significant in the family. No, it's not him. The next one, no, it's not him. They get all through the, the major ones, and he says, is there any other? And there's the runt in the field watching the sheep. He's the, bring him to me. This is the king, and he anoints him there. And he says this, man looks at the outer appearance, but God looks at the heart, folks. That's what we are to be. God sees the heart, not the face, and so must we. Absolutely essential. Some closing thoughts about the unmistaken Jesus. And again, just in case you didn't get it all the way through here, unmistaken means the right, correct Jesus. The mistaken is the wrong, incorrect Jesus. Now, take a pause. This would be a time to regroup, to listen. I believe that our world is being prepared like never before for the mistaken Jesus who will appear as the Antichrist. Anti is against or instead of, but the world will embrace as the Christ. That's what's going to happen. It's being prepared for that right now. You look and see how the majority of Christendom views Jesus. Give me everything, Jesus. Let me live any way that I want, Jesus. It's all about love, love. No, no, it's about following the true and real Jesus, the true Jesus. Now, lessons that we can learn from this. The mistaken Jesus the vast majority either deny him or mistake who he is. And again, please remember, all cults, all world religions have a mistaken view of Jesus. Most people have a mistaken view of Jesus. Jesus' hometown had a mistaken view of Jesus. The people of his time mistaked who he was. All world religions view him favorably. Remember, in person of interest. We saw the book and the pictures and J. Warner Wallace's book, Person of Interest. And in that, world religions view him positively. A great teacher, an enlightened one, an avatar, wonderful teacher, great, wonderful person. But they miss who he really is. God incarnate, the son of the living God. All reject that he is God. Christians throughout the ages have mistaken who Jesus really is. Now, there's been some mistaken views of Jesus. Just for your edification, since you are Bible students, I wouldn't do this with kind of regular people. But since you are Bible students, I will do this. Now, there's some views on this. The first one is something called Nestorianism, where people look at Jesus as being, well, he's divine, but he's also human, but they're separate. 50-50, 50-50, 50-50. errant view of Jesus. Jesus is the God-man. He has two natures, God and man. Now, the next one, this is very famous. This is, a, this is Arianism. This came into popularity in 1 John with the Gnostics, that they have, a, they have a wrong view of Jesus, that Jesus is created. Jesus is a created being. That is an errant view who uses the Holy Spirit in many ways. Now, the next one is something called modalism. This is, there are people, quite a few people today that believe this, that God manifests himself in the past as the Father. At the time of Jesus, God manifests himself as the Son. 
one entity changing his identity. And then now he manifests himself as the Holy Spirit. Now, the problem with this is, is that at the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus hears the voice, this is my son whom I may well please follow him, did the same thing at his baptism. Now, who is Jesus talking to himself? Is he like throwing his voice? I mean, no, there's a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, the correct view is the Trinity. Now, this is a triangle. You've seen this before. We've done this here before. God. The Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. And if I could write in here, I would write complex unity. Complex unity. The Son is, is, is the Son. He's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Father. These are separate entities. Now, this will give you another view of it over here with the overlapping ellipticals. Now, each one has a role. The Father has a role. The Son has a role. The Holy Spirit has a role. They are all God. And these roles many times overlap. Overlap. God. Inseparable, complex unity. One God, three persons. Now, you know all about the Trinity. <laughs> yeah, okay. Not an easy doctrine to understand. You can get a lot of things wrong, folks, but you cannot get the wrong Jesus. You have to have the right Jesus. So, do not be like the masses of humanity who are mistaken about Jesus. The unmistaken Jesus is my Lord. Just remember that. He is your Lord. Kurios, your master, your ruler, your owner. And what does that mean to me? I hear him. He speaks to my heart through his word, through his spirit, and I obey what he tells me. Do you hear that? I don't obey what the world says. I don't go, around with the, don't go along with the crowd. I don't care about the numbers. I don't care about what anybody says. I will follow him. I go where he says to go. I do what he says to do. I live the way he says to live. Even though the culture is on a massive free fall into immorality, we don't dive in with them. We live separate. You have been called to come out and be a separate people, different than the world. We're not here to blend with the world. We're to be a contrast to the world and be appealing to the world and ask them to come into the family of God. They might wonder what you have. If you're not biting your nails as we watch our money flying away in the stock market. When we change our money system, which is going to come soon, and people are going to lose everything, and when they finally implement this, you're going to have nothing and love it philosophy. I mean, excuse me, I'm not in for that one. But I'm not going to bite my nails. Because we know that this economic, religious, political system is changing because the Word has told us. So we have a heads up that we aren't worried and fretting. So, remember the unmistaken Jesus is the one that gave you life eternal. He is the one that gives you peace in the midst of the storm. He is the one that gives you joy in spite of your circumstances. That's pretty significant. His presence, his power, his protection is something you get when you follow him. And by the way, he will get you home safely. Now, how do I know that? Because John 14, verses 1 through 3, that I say at every funeral, so I have it memorized, <laughs> in my Father's house are many rooms. 
If it were not so, I would have told you so. And if, if I've told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come for you and receive you unto myself. And listen to these words, that where I am, you may be also. He will get you home safely. Yes, he will. Don't make the mistake of thinking that, this is important, don't make the mistake of thinking someone can't be changed. That someone in your family will never believe. Don't go down that road. Don't make the mistake of writing someone off. The unmistaken Jesus can invade any life. Just ask Solzhenitsyn in a prison gulag for eight years. God is always at work, and might I add, in your household. In your household. Keep trusting and keep believing. Trusting and believing is our part. This is a repeat for emphasis. God's part is the miracle a changed life. Now, I want you to take a pause. I want you to remember who Jesus is. He is our Savior for sure. He is our friend for sure. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to Him in prayer. He is our friend. But remember this. Never forget. He is our all-powerful King. He is the King Jesus, our sovereign, whom we bow to. Jesus is not to be trifled with. He is not to be trifled with, treated with disrespect. C.S. Lewis in his Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe, you have seen this before, but it's so impressive to me, you get to see it again. He wrote about Aslan, Aslan being a picture of Jesus. And he says this, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Take a pause. The rest of the world. The rest of the world. No, no. Is he quite safe? She asks. I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. And then listen to these words. But he is good. Our Jesus is good. He's the king, I tell you. Let this whole world know he's the king, I tell you. He is the one that I serve. I will not bow at the feet of the culture. I serve a king. He is the king, I tell you. You stand before somebody someday, some judge, and he's criticizing you because you believe in this word, and you've taught something in this word that got you before the judge, and you stand there with your Holy Spirit, rod of iron up your spine, and you tell him right between the peepers, He's a king, I tell you, judge. He's a king, I tell you, judge. He's a king that loves you, judge. He's a king that wants you to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth, judge. Folks, I'm picturing this happening. See, the gods of the world are coming into this. It's the return of the gods. Our country is changing, and it's embracing the false gods of the world. And we will be facing, like never before, persecution. Folks, it's coming here to our house. Be prepared. Stand with your Holy Spirit guts. He is a king, I tell you. We tell the world this. We do not shrink. We do not shrink back. Well, let me finish. So, <laughs> Remember who you're dealing with, folks. He's the king, I tell you. He's a king. 
He is the unmistaken Jesus. Give him the honor that he deserves in your life. He deserves first place, not last place, not down here. Well, I have Jesus just as a safety net. No, no. Make him your first place. Make him your first place. He's our king. And remember what he considers you. He considers you a treasure. He considers you a pearl of great price. He considers you so valuable that he changed his condition to become a man, a God-man, to come here and be one of us, experience the stuff we get here, die for us, and take us with him to Father's house. Folks, with God, all things are possible. Believe it. Do not fall for the deception that is coming at you like never before in the history of this world. Follow the unmistaken Jesus. Amen. Wow. I wonder why I'm always hungry when I get done with this. (laughs) And I need a nap. Yeah. Anyway, Father, thank you for this time. Thank you that you've allowed us to spend time in your word. And Lord, this word is precious to us. It's not a little add-on. This is precious to us. And Lord, your blood is precious to us. Your crushed body is precious to us. And so right now we enter into our communion service where we remember what you, our God, has done for us. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.